It's a special kind of day today. Yes, this is still the I Am The Night podcast. Yes, we're still looking at Batman the Animated Series, but this time it's special. We're looking at the first feature-length episode, The Incredible, The Masterful, Mask of the Phantasm animated movie. Um, Wow, that's all I have to say. Adam, welcome. Hello. What do you have to say? It's very smoky out there when you're being chased by the Phantasm, but yeah, it's truly remarkable and still stands the test of time as one of the greatest pieces of Batman media ever made, isn't it? Honestly, I have nothing bad to say. And this is the first time watching it, even the police agree with me. This is the first time watching it as a critic and the love I have for this film. In fact, if anything, I may even like it a bit more after watching it today. Um, Honestly... The writing by Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, Marty Pascoe and Michael Reeves, the backbones of the show, and the direction from Eric Domsky and Bruce Tim. This movie looks like a movie, it flows like a movie, but still somehow fits Very in with the aesthetic of the, of the TV series. I think the aesthetic that you're talking about, that's still because it's made by the very same yes. circle of... 20 or so people mm-hmm. it's still made by the same production company given the same love and attention of the hand-drawn animation uh, on black paper it's still got the same character designs the same cast the same voice acting the same voice direction written by the same cadre of people directed by the same like pool of amazing directors who know how to handle the story as well honestly it's got the gravitas of a full animated picture yeah. that uh, Warner Brothers we know have been able to do since the 30s or beyond mm, yes before. absolutely but it's still got the same group of people that know how to handle this character in the setting so they've lost nothing if anything they've just gained a huge surge of capital and renown and effort and resources to be able to make it as big and as grand as you possibly can do you not feel as well though that yes it does feel like a classic animated movie but it feels like a movie there's so many bits in it that make it feel so much more cinematic. Just having that huge crawl over oh. the Gotham City skyline with all of the huge cast and crew involved in making it, it feels makes it feel very cinematic just from the beginning. And the opening shots of it in sort of like the 3D like digital perspectives, it still somehow feels so much like those map paintings that you get from the show itself. Doesn't it just? It's because whoever does the architecture for those map paintings or those neoclassical gothic architecture is able to be able to transpose those into 3D to make it still feel the same. And then when you get that amazing colour palette, it just translates it into that style of Batman story. So it looks cinematic, but still Batman. Brilliant. I'm so glad you brought up that opening art because that whole grand sweeping vista of, of Gotham and accompanied by that grand sweeping operatic score that that theme by Shirley Walker which was so um brand new so powerful but still reminiscent of Danny Elfman's theme it's brilliant it's like that huge operatic choir that makes everything sound yeah. extra grandiose honestly that wouldn't be out of place a few hundred years ago either agreed it's just that well composed and that well coordinated and it feels classical but still now much like Batman yeah and this is archetypal classic powerful Batman from that opening scene in that 
casino. It's yep. just brilliant. He moves in and works with perfect precision. The only time I've seen Batman fight like that in such a true way was that bit in the warehouse in Batman Superman. Yeah, agreed. He's a force of nature. For unstoppable, not infallible, but still so resilient that there's nothing that most average combatants really do that can touch him. Yeah, and the look on the characters' faces, I mean, I do think that being an animated feature, the sharpness and the quality of the animation, and there's nothing wrong with it on the show, is that tiny bit crisper and neater in this. They are able to put in some very subtle details that otherwise might be lost in a episodic episode, a regular uh, span of the show. They have been able to put in like very little, very little cuts on the chin of some of the mobsters after they've been a spray of glass, putting in the details of some of the rust and corrosion on uh, the land of tomorrow. There's They've been able to put in a lot more love and care because they have the time and the effort and the capital behind them to say that they can work to however long it needs to be as opposed to the deadlines that a weekly show might have had. Absolutely. And do you not feel as well that the acting on the animated faces, I mean, the look particularly on Chucky Soul's face when he sees Batman, you feel terror there, you feel fear, the way he grasps that case to his chest. Yep, there's wonderful actual acting, which is a weird thing to say when talking about animated yeah. characters, but there is still acting to it. Brilliant. So good. Now let's cut to the chase and where we meet the eponymous villain of the piece for the first time. And Chucky's running away through um, into the car park. And there he sees who he believes is Batman. And, and this again is, is really clever. And it, it only hit me watching it now. That at first I thought that they did Phantasm as a tribute to the often forgotten and much underappreciated uh, Batman Year 2, which features Gotham's original vigilante, the Reaper. And Phantasm is clearly a very Reaper-like character. But also, I didn't realise that this version, the Phantasm, is different for a number of reasons. That poked, that spiked hood he wears from an angle could look like Bat is. And the rips in the cape are very Batman-esque. So from a distance, with the smoke and with the effect he has to hide in the shadows, um, you can see why Gotham Citizens and Chucky Sol at first think, damn, it's Batman. Yeah, I think that's a deliberate yeah. misdirection thing in the design to yeah. make it seem like it could be Batman committing these, uh, committing these crimes and these atrocities. I think it also just shows how strong Batman's reputation is in Gotham for uh, the Phantasm to have, to have moved in to do these things. They have to sort of appeal to who's already there. They have to make themselves sort of mirror Batman because his presence, especially with the people that the Phantasm's going after is so strong that they can't just do their own thing. Absolutely. And do you think as well, possibly, that psychologically it makes much more sense as to why Batman dresses the way he does, especially when we see a look back at his origins in this film, and also how sometimes that could actually be a weapon to be used against him because literally people do honestly believe that this killer, this person who's offing uh, Gotham City crime lords, could actually be Batman. Yeah, I think that's uh, a thing that they, the Phantasm use as a point of benefit, as a way to sort of draw attention away from themselves and to put a little bit of extra attention on Batman so that they could stay focused on the revenge that they seek on very select individuals. Oh, absolutely. For those few people who may not have seen this film, 
Um, word of warning now, we are gonna spoil it a bit later on, but what I'll say now is that the actual Phantasm is very clever because they're covering their motives, they're covering their motivations and covering their tracks brilliantly from the get-go because we see um, one of the suspects as to who might be the Phantasm flying into Gotham after this scene and that's very, very clever. I was wondering how they were going to justify that because maybe there's just the that scene just took place out of time. It was just like that scene happened before the actual events of the thing that preceded it but they deliberately framed it that way just to mislead the viewer. Yes, absolutely. But no, but Batman does say at the end um, you came back to Gotham afterwards to make it yeah. look like your, your father was doing Like this. they came in quietly, yeah. left, then came back yes. publicly just to get some attention. Which is very clever. Yeah, it is. It is clever. Just a, as many ways to lead people off of your tracks just to make sure that you're not caught or up for reprisals for this because this is a like, mass murder. And we do find as well that this character is a lot closer to being an equal or a real threat to Batman than you'd at first think. Yep, the skill sets are relatively similar, the means are similar, the looks are similar, the stuff that they have access to gadgets-wise, and, and as far as the big claw and, more importantly, the smoke that sort of almost lets them teleport, but it's probably just like... Uh, sleight of hand. Sleight yeah. of hand, sneaking away sort of deal. Those methods are all all feel very Batman, and seeing them used for the opposite intent just makes it really hit home just how similar they could be. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about, of course, you can't have a Batman film of any kind without the mainstays, the staples, your Harvey Bullock, your Jim Gordon, and of course, Mr. Pennyworth, my absolute hero, my legend, who in this film, we have seen the acerbic wit and sarcasm throughout, but yeah. we actually see the fatherly love a lot more in this as well, and, and both aspects are really well handled. They're handled and they're balanced, I think, is what's important, yeah. because he will verbally backhand Batman <laughs> when he needs yes. it. But when things are actually serious, all of that uh, sourness goes, and he's fully invested, fully serious, and fully comforting. It's a great dynamic and a great way to layer the characters, make him seem all the more real and all the more experienced, because he's like distinctly, grandly older. So he has that world, that wisdom and experience that Batman still needs and that Batman still relies on every day. Absolutely. I mean, when we see that headline, it has Bats gone Bats, where Batman gets the blame for the murder of Chucky Soul, which obviously us as the viewer, we know that it was the Phantasm, this new character. But um, it, it's brilliant. And um, this line is still one of my all-time favourites in all of Bat Mythos. Well, no, sir, you're the very model of sanity. By the way, I've pressed your tights and put away your exploding Bloody gas balls. balls. That's the least subtle way I've heard Alfred dig his like very strong displeasure at Batman's whole crusade. Because deep, not even that deep down, he really does not like that he does this. No, absolutely. But he still supports him, which he is still a, a, what a, a real parent is like should be. Yeah, and he is, and we see that in Spades by him putting away his exploding gas balls yep. because that's a totally normal thing for someone to have amazing, totally amazing now let's talk about this crusade um, so many things in this film and again, this is still a film you can let the kids watch I mean, there are places where it's a little bit edgy a little bit scary but I'd be happy to let any child of 
eight or ten or above watch this but there's so much in it for the mature view i mean the whole thing about and we've discussed this a million times not just on this show but probably on any podcast i've done that talks about batman can he actually be happy and if he is does that mean there is no batman in the picture and, and this film covers that as well as if not better than most it's always a question that's sort of crucial to him because he's so dogmatics and negative word but he Driven? is sure I'd, I'd go with that to what he wants to do so anything outside of it is a distraction we see that in some of the flashbacks mm. that we get to him starting out we see him quite literally distracted and that costs him like a, what looks to be a fairly serious injury and the people he's trying to catch red handed getting away so we have to wonder, sure, is this actually one of those times where we think he could be happy and he could be away from the mask? Mm, absolutely. And what would the world have been like if Andrea hadn't left the country with her dad? It would have been very would we not have had a Batman? It's possible. He does consider putting that all away and he soul searches for great parts of the flashback sequences, just mm. wondering why he's okay with things having having moved on and if he's allowed to put down the vow the promise he made all those years ago absolutely well said and this is almost like we script this which we don't by the way this is this is not scripted at all it's just adam and i hashing out on notes we've taken watching the the film but twice now you've mentioned flashbacks in the last couple of sentences and that was where i wanted to go next because they're brilliantly handled and we've talked before Unlike every other Batman adaptation, we have not seen the Waynes get killed. Yet we know exactly why Batman is Batman. Yeah. And again, we do not see this in this film. Nope. But we see him at his parents' graves making a vow. And that's all we see. And it's brilliantly handled because then we also get that mirroring, that likeness, that connection between him and Andrea Beaumont from the very start when he's talking to his parents at the grave and she's doing the same to her mother. It's brilliant. It's a thing that sort of unites them as characters and it's just that kindred uh, spirit of them having both lost people but both having more to their characters and more to their skills than they seem and it's what draws them together and it makes it so interesting and yeah, we really feel for Bruce and as we see the happiness naturally grow within him as he's interacting with this nice lady and nice lady is 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 right because this woman she's got alfred's wit hmm. and charm she's not afraid to dig at bruce both verbally and physically yeah which is a nice surprise and she's a breath of fresh air as a character i mean i know that up until recent times this is her first and only appearance but i fell in love with the character andrea beaumont and with the phantasm immediately that was just excellently handled characterization from the writing team. They know that it's so unlikely and so out of character for Bruce Wayne Batman to be quite so happy and upbeat and in love, but we also know what qualities a character would need for him to feel that way, and they presented to us perfectly and better yeah. in the form of Andrea. So yeah, we get that hope alongside Batman and we see all of that happiness in those flashbacks and it just leaves us wondering what went wrong what went wrong oh, absolutely and the flashbacks are so masterfully done from looking at a painting in his study to being at the cemetery and the way they tie in with the modern day is brilliant and i often said that um the one reason i do love this film is like we've said the people who make this stuff 
clearly read the comics and yes Batman Year 2 has been wildly underrated and underappreciated over the years and frequently has been written out of canon and brought back in and this that and the other but this film I don't know if you feel the same because I know that you're a big lover of Batman Year 1 as I am that this film marries both Batman Year 1 and Batman Year 2 into one cohesive film amazingly well. I think that the strongest moments of Year 1 are some of the, like, the strong visuals that hang over and a lot of people have, my, have in mind, mm-hmm. particularly when Batman's on the run later on in the film from people who think yeah. that he's the killer and we see those SWAT guys yeah. raiding into the construction site. Totally. It's just a, a really clear respect to how Batman began because they're telling the story of how he began in context of someone new. It's just another version or retelling of his earliest days after coming back from his travels, learning um, combat and detective skills Mm -hmm. across the world. So we get those very respectful touches back to the past because that's the kind of story they wanted to tell and they told it very well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is when we've got to remember this was made years and years before Batman Year One animated movie, but a few years after Batman Year One, the comic. And the way they've tried to both honour the comics yet do something new and fresh is still today. For me, um, though Batman Begins is still probably my favourite live-action Batman film and look at his origins, this to me is still, and people may come at me with torches and pitchforks, still better than that. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I say it's um, it handles all of those early growing pains that Batman would have and all of the reprisals of him still being mostly and almost entirely on the other side of the law as the letter of the law goes but we see how he handles that we see how he grows from that and how he grows into the hero we all know today yeah and a great new explanation of going from mask vigilante to batman what inspired him to take the bat to his emblem because when he does go out to fight crime just like in the comics just like in year one he goes out in disguise with a mask and balaclava but he's still got the Batman toys, the paraphernalia. He's still got the utility belt. He's still got shurikens rather than batarangs, but same difference. And the little spike um, bombs that blow out the tires of the truck. Um, superb. Yep. Yeah. We see that uh, physically and in terms of his mm. uh, loadout and gear that he is Batman. He just doesn't have the look pinned down yet, which is something he knows that he needs. He needs to be a figure of fear because mm. that's the first complaint he has. They're not scared of me yet. It's because they don't know him, but they need something to be scared of, and that's something he starts to develop. Brilliant. And again, another Walford, wonderful Alfred moment when he's in the cave after that first night out, and uh, Alfred says, are you sure you won't reconsider rugby <laughs> to take out your frustrations and violent emotions? Yeah, that reminds me a lot of um, oh, Batman Begins, as you mentioned it. It was just, yeah. um, if that's going to be the first of many bruises, you probably need a decent cover story. Perlo, perhaps? I'm not letting Perlo, Alfred. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Well spotted. Very well spotted. The other thing I have to mention, again, we've talked about Alfred now. Um, Jim Gordon in this film. I, I, I would like to see maybe a bit more, but what we see is so the man we all know and love and so behind and trusting about Batman, not even for an instance, mm-hmm. yep. does he waver, does he back down, or does he believe that it's Batman behind these murders? It's true. At all. Im- immediately he's like, no, he didn't do it. You can you can try and catch him if you want, but you won't. And if you try, I have no part of it. Just um, just the immediate shut down because he has that much faith in his friend and the 
seasoned crime fighter that he is that no it's absolutely it's obviously not him you're stupid for thinking that yeah and to me that isn't uh, a negative thing on Gordon which is how the politicians in Gotham may have seen it and how perhaps Harvey because Harvey's relationship with Batman is very complex it goes up it goes down it goes up it goes down but at this instance Harvey does think well maybe he has mm. and for me that is Gordon's strength because as a cop he should look at every possibility but as the cop he is as a tried and tested veteran and detective he is he knows that's not the case he just yeah. knows he has utmost confidence in the character he's assessed he knows who he's dealing with and he knows that, that this Batman doesn't kill people it's someone new mm -hmm. brilliant now let's talk about the second flashback where Bruce and Andrew are already a couple now but he still hasn't separated and this was again a fascinating piece of psychology for me he still hasn't separated Bruce Wayne from Batman because when this biker gang attack this street vendor yeah. uh, to take his money he literally automatically goes into full on Batman mode and we see some stunning I, mean, I would love to see this scene handled in live action That'd be interesting. With a motorbike. But also, we see the love of the creative team on this film for classic cop movies, gangster movies, because that bike leader could easily be Marlon Brando's character from On the Waterfront. <laughs> and so much of the car chases, young Bullock in his uniform, yeah. the police cars, the old-time siren sounds... I just felt a love for classic cinema as well. One, another thing I'm actually really glad you brought up about talking about classic cinema, the first flashback where we see him in all black, almost like a ninja, I can't watch scenes where someone's rappelling off of a truck and not thinking of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Completely. So that's, that's a nice bit of them talking to other bits of media just to show that they can tell stories like that but still make it Batman. Yeah. And that's a really interesting respect thing that I honestly hadn't thought about. Um, I'm going to be honest, I'm not too familiar with On the Water. I'm a lot older than you. That's fine, that's fine, that's fine. But it's still... Um... And I love those old gangster flicks and stuff as well, you know I do. Uh, we don't really watch them a lot. That's a... Maybe we should start. But in any case, we still get that clear visual and it just shows that those are the kinds of stories they want to compare this one to and yeah, I think it matches up. Absolutely. Totally. Now, obviously, there's a love of movies and cinema. But again, what I have to embrace, and it actually choked me up a little, is the way that, and I do believe it started on this show, and then it went into the comics, the naming of street corners and companies and uh, businesses after the great Batman creators. And the fact that the front company that Andrea's father was, was uh, funding with the gangsters, the two companies are called O'Neill Funding and Adams Tool and I, yep. Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, two of the greats. The, greats. Uh, the, the strongest creators that handled the character of Batman for years and years. Yeah. Right there. The ones who brought him back to the dark Batman in the late 60s after the 50s and early 60s camp, fun, buddy pal Batman. Yeah, the bring, they definitely brought Batman into the sort of darkened look that we all know him for yeah. now. And I'm very grateful to those writers for that because I can't really see how it would work otherwise unless they unless Batman saw one of those albino fluffy white bat bats that live in the 
live in the Amazon. <laughs> the ones that look like cuddly toys. Yeah, if he'd, if he'd, <laughs> imagine if he'd have seen one of those. That's too funny. Because like, I, I'll always remember oh. that like huge like full page from Batman Year One where he's just been beaten to crap yeah. by those guys, mm. and he's like close to close to death's door. Doesn't want to call Alfred in just yet. But instead, um, lets the omen of the bat come through and inform his decision. If he just instead of seeing like those great tropical like black leathery mm. ones, if he just saw the fluffy white thing, I've got a meme of that which I'll yes, show I yes, I know, I've seen it. Around. <laughs> it's somewhere on the Dark Knight News staff chat. Yes, chat. it is. It definitely is. Oh dear. But um, well, then that leads perfectly into the sceneries proposed to Andrea and then suddenly that swarm that almost mystical ethereal gothic swarm of bats flies out from a fissure which leads to his discovery of the bat cave which beautifully marries the old Batman story where he falls into the cave as a child Mm. um, which I don't think had hit cinemas yet I think this came before Batman Forever I could be wrong. I haven't looked into it that deeply. But this, again, is another great reason for him to take on that bat as a figure of fear. Yep, because it was... Honestly, I saw the bat sort of appearing as a really bad omen. Just like that first shred of doubt of maybe he shouldn't be doing this. Maybe Mm -hmm. he shouldn't be getting romantic. He should try to focus on this quest. And it, those bats also led him to what he needed to operate out of mm-hmm. because we see later on wow this cave under here is big as the house itself and just the extent of it and just an extra thing he needed just to get himself extra set up so fate sort of pulling him back to what he chose to do in his early days as opposed to what is occupying his mind now absolutely and here again is little creative touches which just make me as a super nerd smile when Andrea then leaves the country due to the threat from the gangsters to her father and he, for the first time dons the cape and cowl of the Batman and A, the mask is separate to the cape in this instance and I don't know if you spotted that the silhouette we see the ear a slightly angled back a lot closer to Bill Finger and Bob Kane's original Batman of 1939 mm. and the gloves are short not long and they don't have the bat scallop the points that he has now so it's almost even though it's in shadow and you don't see it clearly the original Batman costume from the 1930s and 40s I hadn't thought of that per se but it does make sense now that you put it together I was more interested in Alfred's reaction yes, of shock which is what I was going to next I'm much more interested in that and that reaction to be like yes that is the figure of fear he was aiming for mm-hmm. so now he is set and ready to begin on what he had intended to do all those years ago and again I know we said it we said it in this episode animation and acting but it's there it is there and it's so clear and wordless without any sort of unnecessary descriptions but we do get the clear intent of oh this is scary this is exactly what he wanted to do yeah I mean after that look it's just two words and it it, it totally highlights the the brilliant uh, animation and Ephraim Zimbalist just two words and he delivers them flawlessly my god Mm. Because he's literally just seen his son become probably the last thing he wanted him to become. Something truly terrifying, yeah. 
Now let's talk about the relationship between Andrea and Bruce when she's back in Gotham and he sees her physically and instantly. The connection between them is so strong just by the fact that she's there tending to her mother's grave after many, many years and pulling weeds and she sees him and he runs and he'd been standing by his own parents' grave. She immediately knows. Damn. Bruce. I sort of quietly sort of thought to myself, mm, be careful who sees you standing around there. Yeah. Because I could not be more obvious. But it makes sense that she would make that sort of connection and realise realize accordingly. So, yeah. It just shows how well they know each other even after all the years. She was there from day, day one so she obviously knows him and she saw him preparing. She saw him fight those crooks in the street. Yeah. She knew what Batman was capable of also what Bruce was capable of back then so she clearly puts two and two together a lot more easily than most would because she does know him yeah she knows him well enough and she knows his skills and just seeing that figure there just sort of must have been an instant realization she didn't even really need to think about it absolutely and um, what's important as well is that when they realize who each other are and he goes to speak to her, but not as Bruce. He goes to her apartment as Batman. And uh, I love this scene so much. She literally just opens the door, sees her balcony doors open, and she knows he's there. And she's the only person in the world who could go to a room, turn on the light, see Batman standing right next to her and not jump because she knows this man. And I still feel that there's love there and there's trust there. But the conversation that they have afterwards, it's, it's what gets me. I think her lack of reaction is also more telling to what she's been through since yeah, they parted. Absolutely. She's not as scared by some marauders in the night as she used to be. She's ready for it. She's expecting it based on just him standing. The obvious signs that he's just sort of been by. And the figure of the night that she she'll eventually sort of give rise to and just sort of break contest to yep that reaction didn't really spawn anything and because of that she knows he's there to sort of talk around some of the stuff that's been happening and she doesn't want to hear any of it she's determined on what she has to do I mean do you think it's wonderful as well though the way he said because um, he's heartbroken she ran away and the note she left wasn't kind um, too young uh, can't do this leaving with my dad and he says to her oh is daddy still running your life or words to that effect and she said well if there's anyone in this room is controlled by his parents it's you yeah it's wow. the truth he'd heard but didn't really want to acknowledge but it's true to an extent to an extent hugely true hugely hugely true okay we've talked Bullock we've talked Gordon we've talked Alfred Batman and Andrea Let's address the clown-shaped elephant in the room that is Sal Valestra's driver, the man whose hands are dirtier than most, Mr. Named in the cartoons as Jack Napier, but to all intents and purposes is the clown we know and love to hate, Yep, Joker. His appearance was unexpected because he wasn't really foreshadowed, but we don't care, it's him and he'll always be welcome. Yeah. I'm going to look past the anything that may give context to the Joker. It's not something I'll ever acknowledge or accept. Mm-hmm. But he's always welcome. Yeah. One of my favourite characters in all the fiction. So 
we see him at his true worst, this figure of like pure chaos and when asked to deal with this strange phantasm that's offing mobsters, he accepts in his own special way. Absolutely. Um, I say this a lot, and I'll probably sound like a scratch record, but this could be Mark Hamill's finest hour as Joker. I'd say so. It's stunning. Because we get that moment where he's talking to the really old mobster who's like shredded his lungs from the excessive smoking. Don't smoke, kids. We Don't s- do it! We see... Him very naturally, but as naturally as a mood swing can possibly be, we see him just like fill up with rage. Take your hands off me. That's what I want to see a smile. Just that huge switch in dynamic that just shows how unstable the Joker is. That I think is just a wonderful, very subtle bit of acting that we get from Mark Hamill's performance into the twisting emotions that you get on like white paper. Oh, totally. Yeah. And we do see, again, every aspect of Joker. The figure when he looks at you in anger and you're terrified. The force of chaos, the clown, the killer. He's every aspect of Joker we've ever seen in one movie. And he's hilarious, but you still have more of a nervous laughter around him than a a, a laughter of mirth and enjoyment. That's the kind of laughter that he sort of draws from people because they're just very scared of what he may do next. He's so unpredictable. And the fact that he's made himself a home in the Gotham's fair world fair is yep. just so in. Yeah, was it Futureland and Disney <laughs> yeah. sort of falls into disrepair? Basically, it's, it's like a cross between uh, Epcot and the World's Fair, totally. Mm. Yeah, and it's a bit sort of strange to see the android from Metropolis there everywhere because <laughs> that was not a nice figure of science fiction if I'm remembering right no far the opposite of C-3PO yeah so kind of strange but then again we can all sympathise with the Joker because as those animatronics start to liven up he shoots them away because we much like It's a Small World hate that song absolutely and um, again I've got a tip my hat to the animators and to the artists on this movie because we see a young Joker before he was Jokerized. we see him as, as the driver as the crook as the gunslinger as the, as the gangster but we also see and it's so subtle but so brilliant the softer younger but still instantly recognisable Bruce Wayne uh, the only difference with Alfred is the colour of his hair he's got black hair but still hardly any as opposed to grey hair and the younger, softer, more rounder-faced Andrea to the adult, slimmer Lena, and obviously trained mm. Andrea Beaumont of, of the now. And again, brilliantly but subtly handled. Yeah, I particularly liked the slightly slimmer in his uh, police blues beat cop bullock, because that yes. makes total sense, and it puts Completely. the timing to it perfectly, because he's had to work through the ranks as Batman started to make his name so yeah those little things just to provide really good realism and context to those flashbacks and they're flashbacks that you can tell are flashbacks because sometimes even in certain comics which I won't name because I don't like being negative um, following what's past and what's present is a bit of a pain Yeah, but here it's superbly done it really is they know how to handle it and we, it's very clear to see the <coughs> transitions between then and now now let's talk about Joker discovering the truth before even the police because he sets a trap for Batman and then he's the one that discovers oh 
no, it's not Batman after all, it's Phantasm. And lines like, oh no, this guy's big and scary, nowhere near as cute as Batman. <laughs> I actually wrote down in my notes, uh, Joker plus Batman, one true pairing. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, no one's as cute as my Batman. There's, there's, there's like a really weird, bizarre romance there, isn't there? Isn't yes. There? Is there? Oh, isn't there? I mean, that's it, it's always alluded to. Strongly implied, never fully realised, but I honestly think he does. A Batman is the love of his life. In his in its own in weird, weird way. murderous way. Yeah. That's why I love the Lego Batman movie so much, because yes. they actually turn that into a romance. Yeah. Sort of, not really. Yeah. Sort of, <laughs> not really. That's the whole thing. That's the whole relationship. Sort of, not really. Yeah. Um, again, even Frank Miller's done it. Don I returns... Uh, Batman disappears for 10 years no Joker he goes into a catastrophic state he has no reason to live the minute Batman returns and Joker sees it on TV his eyes open up he looks at the TV and his first word is darling darling and that to me says it all it really does alright um, we talked about the voice performance is obviously the main cast and we have to as I always do uh, do my bit of nerdy research so let's talk about the big guest stars in this episode see Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., all the Harvey Bullocks, um, Jim Gordons and, and stuff we've covered and Infinitum. But let's talk about the bit players this time. Starting with, obviously, the uh, murdered uh, gangsters. Starting with uh, Chucky Sol, who's played by Dick Miller, who is a screen and TV legend. Uh, it'd be easy to say, what hasn't Dick Miller been in? But if I start with little things like Piranha, Gremlins 1 and 2, Little Shop of Horrors, a bit parts in The Terminator, Pulp Fiction, The Burbs, Small Soldiers, that's what I have to say. I can't describe him, but Adam, I'll put on a bit of Dick Miller and you'll look at him and say, oh my God, you'll say, oh God, yeah, this guy's in everything. Oh, yeah. He literally is in everything. Uh, John P. Ryan, who plays Buzz Bonsky, was in The Future World, the original 1970 sequel to Westworld, and in legendary movies such as Cotton Club and Runaway Train. Now, Abe Vigoda, Sal Valestra, the leader of the gang, um, classic gangster actor in The Godfather. Wow. But um, TV classics like Barney Miller, um, the crime show. But you, and this is going to blow your mind, he was, you'll know him from um, Look Who's Talking with John Travolta and Castiali. Mm. He's the old grandpa in the home. Oh, wow. With the eyebrows. With the eyebrows. <laughs> With the eyebrows, does a great job describing him. That's amazing, actually. That's Abe Vigoda, legend. Um, Arthur Reeves, the councilman, the uh, other love interest for Andrea. This is going to blow your mind. He was in the original Supergirl movie. Um, and tons of stuff, TV and film, obviously, uh, and voice acting. But this is going to blow your mind. This is the guy who played Ellis in Die Hard. Oh, 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 wow, okay. Yes. So he's very Idiot. much cast a type. Yes. <laughs> very, the sort of slimy business type, wow. Yeah, um, yeah that, that adds up perfectly, wow. And let's go to um, both Phantasms, or, well, was one really Phantasm ever at all? Stacey Keats Jr., again, uh, a, a wonderful, talented, noted American actor, mainly for stage, Shakespearean, one of the greatest uh, stage actors the Amer America ever produced, but to, to film fans and TV fans, he's been in just about everything, from silliness like Cheech and Chong, appeared in Will and Grace, Prison Break, um, but for me, growing up in the 70s and 80s, 
he will always be the archetypal TV detective Mike Hammer from the Mickey Spillane fame. Oh, okay. And he did that show for uh, two completely different shows over the space of like six or seven years, a couple of TV movies, and to me, he's one of the reasons I'm fascinated by detective fiction. Oh, wow. He's one of those TV detectives who you see piecing to clues together, working out the crimes, beating the street, noticing things. And when he was cast as um, Beaumont Senior in this movie, I thought, wow, perfect. Because again, to me, he's one of those... If they'd have made a Batman movie in the 70s or the 80s, he would have been... That would have been very interesting. Because I feel like his extensive detective acting would have made that much more of a focus because that's sadly not a focus Mm. Uh, that would have been interesting i'd have liked that that would have been nice yeah and a wonderful actor wonderful wonderful actor uh hollywood walk of fame the works this guy well i think that's exactly the kind of uh emotional range they wanted for in that character because we got the warmth from him when he meets bruce wayne into the dread and terror when those mobsters are at his at his door threatening him and his daughter. We get we needed a seasoned actor for that, and they chose perfectly. Absolutely, absolutely. Now let's talk about um, one of my eighties nineties crushes, and to me one of the finest voice performances in this movie, the wonderful and hugely talented Dana Delaney who plays Andrea Beaumont. Um, this woman is again stage screen you name it what hasn't she been in from episodes of moonlighting magnum pi um house sitter she plays uh, steve martin's old girlfriend from back in the day before he falls in love with the nutty um goldie horn but to us comics fans uh, this performance was so brilliant and so stellar the way she switches from the beautiful, loving, kind, funny, witty Andrea to the dark, tormented adult Andrea is just brilliantly played. Her performance was so strong that um, Andrea Romano, the casting director for these shows, immediately offered her Lois Lane for the Superman animated series, which was coming wow. up after this. After this. And so brilliant was she as Lois that she went on to reprise the role, not just in Superman the Animated Series, but in the Justice League Animated Series, Justice League um, Unlimited Animated Series, and in The Brave and the Bold yep. as Lois Lane, even as an alternative parallel world Lois Lane in that show as well. I think that just shows the range and the strength of merit for this actress. She did an amazing job, and you needed that kind of emotional range to show the light and upbeat into the Torched Avenger uh Perfect, absolutely perfect. And the fact that Andrea, the character, um, looked virtually identical to uh, Dana, the actress, at this point in her career is absolutely oh, unbelievable. Okay. That's good. Maybe just made for, maybe just made for easy uh, character design. Yeah, absolutely. So that's more or less it, apart from our final thoughts and ponderings on this wonderful piece of cinema. So again, as always, son, good, bad, ugly takeaways, likes or dislikes from Batman Mask of the Phantasm. I know you were angling to do this question to sort of wrap up the episode, but I'm going to throw us right in the deep end and offer a fairly short debate on the character of Batman. Oh, great. The premise that uh, Weasley businessman Arthur puts up the Batman's the one going around doing these killings and is just dead cert towards it until he's incapacitated in the hospital by the Joker that led me to think and I want to put this question to you because this is a question that is very much sort of addressed a lot of like current Batman media it's mm-hmm. something that they're asking more and more and more is 
the super crime in Gotham Batman's fault? It's a great question, and it's been answered a hundred times in many different ways. Yes and no. I honestly do think that um, it was coming because of this world. Characters like Batman, I mean, let's not forget that Superman appeared first, but actually in current DC continuity, the first super character was Wonder Woman back in the, uh, back in the 40s. Um, so having these people around, we know human nature. There's always going to be someone who says, no, I want to be bigger, tougher and badder than you. We saw it in the recent episode, The Man Who Killed Batman, where this little unsuspecting criminal accidentally looks like he's killed Batman and then everyone's in his face to try and take his spot. So in a way, yes, Batman did draw those people to him. But even in the real world, there are serial killers, monsters who... No, they don't dress up in gaudy costumes, but they're out there. The trouble is, in our world, we haven't really got anyone stopping them, apart from a hugely underfunded, underappreciated um, police force. I do honestly think that the police do not get the credit or the funds and resources that they truly deserve. So, yes and no. And at least in the DC Universe, in the Marvel Universe, they've got the characters who will stand up and put the mask on and fight these terrors because they believe that someone has to. That's a interesting and somewhat progressive way to sort of put it. Um, defending the police is a brave thing to do these days. I, yeah. I'm not talking about certain police that kill. Oh no, no, no! Uh, yeah. I'm talking to about the per- real police. No, I'm yeah. talking about maybe British police. You yeah. know, the ones yeah. who actually do Absolutely. police work as opposed to just resolving the things because they're allowed to carry a gun for some reason. Yeah, agreed. We're not going to get into that. That's very political. Yeah. To an extent, I have to sort of see what Jim Gordon said at the end of Batman Begins about escalation, about how certain yeah, crime fighting agreed. measures lead to certain crimes that are preventing that. There's always a response to the sort of brinkmanship that there will always be. So with super-powered or superheroic figures, there'll be super-criminals that can match or surpass them. So f- figures like... Figures that didn't really necess- necessarily interact with Batman as part of their origins, which is probably almost all of them, mm-hmm. they would have been there and they would have destroyed Gotham in an instant. So his presence there is necessary, but it does exacerbate things. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think it does. Yeah, that's a fair enough interpretation. Um, hard to argue as well, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. But let's talk about the other side of the coin. And this is something that this film broaches brilliantly would Gotham possibly have been worse off without him? Because let's think, what would Gotham be like without Batman if, like you said, some of these characters that weren't directly involved by him or indirectly created by him, would they have still come about? And to me, the thing that really stuck out with this film and why it's important, and this is what some fans don't actually like about this film, is the fact that, let's be honest here, at the end of this movie, Batman loses. He loses the girl. He doesn't capture the Phantasm or the Joker. All he manages to do is just about clear his name. He loses, but Gotham wins because Gotham still has the Batman. And that, to me, I think is the ultimate victory. And that, to me, is actually the deepest psychological root of this movie because he does not bring in the bad guy or get the girl at the end of this film. 
but he still is out there fighting crime and saving lives and what's the more important part of it i mean did you get that i honestly hadn't and that's sort of blown my mind a little bit it's interesting to see that he lost but still brought about the right conclusion and kept the city safe it's so interesting because a lot of the way that stories are told at least in western culture is combative and usually we want to see the side we root for succeed so when you present it like that it's honestly very easy to see that Batman's successful because his name's cleared and the city's safe Mm -hmm. but when you actually look at it, yeah, he didn't actually win at all. No, and that that honestly didn't approach me at all. It's a moral victory, but it's not a victory. On, on it's a moral, vi- yeah. yeah, it's a moral victory, but it's not an actual win. Yeah, because the bad guys are still out there to literally turn to smoke. There's no way of knowing where they even ended up, mm-hmm. and a huge part of very dilapidated theme park got destroyed, mm-hmm. and some mobsters died. We had, I honestly hadn't thought about that. That's blown my mind a little bit. I mean, that, that's a hugely deep psychological and philosophical aspect to end what is substantially an animated movie on. I mean, to me, that's that's what makes this film archetypal and one of the best pieces of Batman media because frequently in the comics, he doesn't win, but he does the right thing so that everybody else wins. And that, to me, is the whole story in a nutshell where had he married Andrea, had there not been a Batman Gotham and the world may have been poorer for it but does that mean that this great man who I idolise, who I love has suffered a devastating loss for everyone else's gain and is that fair? I mean we're talking about a cartoon movie and this is the stuff that's coming out, that's why I love this character so much It draws that kind of deep philosophical thought, that true level of selflessness that makes him a hero that stands up far better than anyone from myth or antiquity Oh, Absolutely fascinating to think about it's fascinating to think about to say that a traditional ending of uh, heroism prevailing doesn't necessarily need to be victory yeah absolutely so, so you didn't see that that's I truly thing. didn't and that's blown my mind wide open just to think that you could have a story end that way where yes the day is saved but there's no clear win there's no downfall of evil there's no mm. Amazing to me, honestly. Deep, huh? Yeah. And that's why I know there are people who um, love all the different Batman media for various reasons, and none of us are right and none of us are wrong, but for all the reasons we've stated, to me, this remains the best animated or live action Batman film ever made because of those reasons that he is the hero and he, only at the end of possibly Dark Knight when he has to literally bloody his own name and take the blame for Harvey Dent's death and go out and be a figure of the night because he can't operate with with police. Does he, again, win by losing? But I still think this one does it better because this one did it first. This one did it first and this one did it without Batman actually losing anything. He brought it back to to true neutral, to the true centre. He didn't put himself down any worse. Mm. And I think that's honestly more heroic. Yeah. Heroes can be go out there and do the ideal to try and make things safer, to make sure that certain criminals are out there and gone for good. It's far easier to be proactive, to just go and clear huge swathes of 
tenements of drug dealers or what have you, it's far trickier to make sure that there is sustained peace because absolutely, you're, he's just addressing where problems come up here and there. But by keeping everything level, that's safer, as opposed to going out and proactively clearing all of these criminals, where does the line end? Yeah. By suffering heartbreak and incalculable loss personally, um, he's literally saving the world every single night. Really is. Wow. And there you go. Um, this is Philosophy 101, starring <laughs> Adam Ray and Steve Ray. <laughs> Okay, so that wraps up, which I think is a special episode of I Am The Night, covering an incredibly special part of Batman mythology. So, Adam, um, let the world know where they can read your works and find you online. To read Batman-flavoured things, you can look no further than Dark Knight News, the home of this podcast, where I review many titles a month. The current future state itself is very exciting and very out Ooh, there, yes. so there's much to talk about in the DC universe yet to come. For writing closer to my true love PC and tabletop gaming, look to our pride and joy, fantasticuniverses.com, where I talk quite frequently about the card games or PC games I lose at. And Spectacularly. To... Oh, I do. I, I'm, I, I'm, st- I'm very secure in my platinum rankings in a lot of my card games. That's nice and awesome. in the middle. Absolutely. Nice and in the middle. Above average. You can see me playing and or losing some of those games on YouTube at The Hostile Atmosphere, and you can find me playing Dungeons & Dragons with some very dear friends on YouTube at No Ordinary Heroes. For more writing about Dungeons & Dragons, look to the Apotheosis Studios blog, with many exciting things coming out from that side, some of which featuring little old me we have much to look forward to this year. Do check that stuff out. It's very, very cool. As for myself, type in Steve J. Ray or Fantastic Universe into your search engine of choice for my written work. Talk to me on Twitter at Elstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. And you can find this show alongside the DC Comics Spinner Rack, uh, Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast, and some more future shows coming on YouTube, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google Play. And Dark Knight News and DC Comics News are sister sites, one covering the wider DC universe, and Dark Knight News, more Batman-flavoured yumminess. But uh, until we see you all again, where we carry on the actual normal run of the Batman animated series, this has been the I Am The Night podcast with Adam Ray. He's the night, and together we are the night. Thank you for listening and until next time, read more comics. And please watch more Batman. Bye now.